Well, good morning, church. Please check in if you're watching remotely. Uh, If you're watching on your television, a smart TV, you probably can't check in via live chat, chat, but you can put a note in the comments, or you can send us an email at info at rsafeharbor.com, and that always encourages us. We're always so glad to see where everybody's watching from. And if you've not gone to rsafeharbor.com and played with the interactive map yet, you really need to. It is a lot of fun, and you will be amazed at how far this is spreading, and we thank God for that. Now, back in August, I did a story on Elijah, and when I got home, I got a message from a distant cousin, a good friend of mine named Andrew Mead, who pointed out that I had conflated uh, two stories, and he was right. I absolutely did. When telling the story of Elijah, when he goes to the widow, I had used parts of a story when Elisha goes to a widow and two very similar scenarios are set up in Elijah's uh, story the pot and the cruet of oil and the flour the meal just never run out it's in Elisha's story that she has to go and borrow pots for them to fill up and then she can sell uh, the the oil and the meal and make a business very similar stories, very, but just slightly different there, um, and he was correct. I, I had done that. Ministers do that sort of thing. That's one of the many reasons why whenever you build a pedestal for a minister or anyone else, you should build it very low to the ground because when they do fall, as all of us do, that way they won't destroy themselves and perhaps even you. One powerful religious figure conflated stories long time ago and it is still causing all kinds of issues in the Christian world. This particular um, religious figure had a lot of power at the time. It was 591 AD and he was Pope Gregory. And Pope Gregory did this famous sermon where he smashed together three women in the New Testament, two of whom were named Mary and one was unnamed And he put them all together as if they were Mary Magdalene. Therefore, demeaning the character of two of the women, uh, really beyond repair, because so many people picked up on the story, and it became mainstream stories and myths. However, Mary Magdalene is one of the two Marys we want to look at today, and one of the two that he rammed together with a sinful woman in Luke 7. We want to take a look at them separately, the two Marys in this sermon. Mary Magdalene is named more frequently than any other female follower of Jesus Christ in Scripture outside of his family. In Gregory's sermon, he put them all together. Mary Magdalene is in Luke 8. Mary of Bethany is in Luke 10. The so-called sinful woman, and she was a sex worker, most likely enslaved and unable to break free of that, is in Luke 7. And that's the story uh, that we've looked at before in a different context, whenever she was at a Pharisee's house and she cried at the feet of Jesus. Since that time, for the last 1,400 plus years, churches have created paintings, great works of art, music, and hundreds of stories and apocryphal tales and books about Mary Magdalene that make her the sinful woman in Luke 7 and also make her the one who anoints Jesus' feet 
in Luke eight, uh, Luke ten, and it's there. There are three different ladies. The misidentification actually played a part in the Protestant Reformation because the Protestants, once they got the Bible in their own language, they were able to start reading the Bible and people were starting to realize, wait a second, something we've been told, we even have feast days for Mary Magdalene and we talk about the seven demons tossed out of her and about the sinful woman thing and the oil of spikenard. Wait, these aren't the same people. And that began to make them wonder what else they had been told that was not accurate. And now that they had the Bible in their own hands, they, they rebelled or they protested against Rome. It was a small part of the Protestant Reformation, mind, but it was still part of it. Medieval paintings and such are still out there, though. And this thing has made a life of its own. And in fact, it still is uh, moving forward in a different way, but we'll talk about that later. Finally, the Roman Catholic Church in 1969, it did a lot of uh, reformation of its own laws. It, it kicked out a lot of saints that were just myths. It kicked out uh, a lot of the feast days that were based upon false history as well. And it tried to clean up a lot of things. And so Pope, uh, Pope Paul VI in 1969 made a formal declaration that Pope Gregory's sermon was wrong and that Mary Magdalene was never the sinful woman and Mary Magdalene therefore was not to be any more looked upon as a reformed sex worker but rather as a loyal and deep follower of Christ. So I think we can all agree that compared to that my mismatch of the Elijah, Elisha, oil and oil stories is a minor factor, so let's move on. So who was Mary Magdalene? As I said before, she's mentioned by name more than any other female follower of Jesus outside of his family. She's portrayed in Luke as one of the women that traveled with Jesus and traveled with the apostles. And all the time, from the beginning, that she was there, Luke says, from the beginning, supporting them financially and making sure that they were cared for. Now, in any movement of men back during these ages, all the way up until after the American Civil War, you had two armies on foot. If there was a group, there were two groups. You had the action group. Let's say you're, let's, we'll go to uh, Civil War. You'll have your, your fighters, your infantry, your artillery. You have all of those, the sappers, whatever unit they're in. But you also have what would later be called the camp followers. Those are your supply people, but they often included women and children of the men in the war. They would serve as nurses. They would serve as cooks. They would serve to clean up. They would be protecting and providing a, a vital part of the line of supply for the men. And yes, there were also sex workers among them in many places. But among Jesus, they didn't have the sex workers, but they had women that were following and not at a distance. Uh, they were well known by name as supplying the food. Uh, they would be cooking it, they'd be buying it, uh, supplying the needs of the apostles because they believed in the mission of the apostles. Uh, was Peter's wife one of them? We, we don't know. Peter's wife is mentioned only briefly in Scripture. Uh, and then it's because her, her mother, Peter's mother-in-law, had become ill with fever and was near to death, and Jesus uh, healed her. 
So Jesus, of course, was never married. Um, some of the apostles were married and some were not. They may have been there, but what we know is Mary Magdalene was there from the beginning. It is also true that in Luke and in the longer ending of the book of Mark, we've not talked about that yet. There are two endings of the book of Mark. The short one is by far the oldest. Uh, many, many years later, uh, we're talking many decades later, a different ending appeared on the end of Mark. So both in Luke and the longer ending of Mark, it is said that seven demons were driven out of Mary Magdalene. Once again, no context is given there, no story, no backstory is given. And so what do people do? When people have a story that doesn't have details, they rush in and they fill in details. And they do it by myth and by fable and by story, but to help them understand the story. So there are all sorts for 1,400 years uh, and more. We've had stories out there that um, it was because these demons are so rough it took seven exorcisms. That's what it meant, seven demons. Others, there are many sermons out there preached in medieval times in particular. They were probably preached in ancient times as well. We have a couple examples of those, but we don't have as many surviving documents that named the seven demons. You know, she had the demon of this and she had the demon of that and the battle that Jesus had to have to cast out these demons. Most likely, none of those are even close to what was true. Whatever demonic issue Mary Magdalene had was completely taken care of by Jesus. Seven is not used with precision in Semitic languages to mean seven, as in seven discrete units or a number. It is always meant as complete or total. So whatever Mary Magdalene had been facing was absolutely, totally cleaned out by Jesus. So whether it was one demon or a thousand demons, seven is the right word for this. By the way, even today, when you ask somebody in the Middle East, if they don't live in a major city, major cities affect everybody, culture, uh, iPhones, Androids, uh, laptops, satellite TV, that changes culture. But if you get away from that into the rural areas, you know, the Bedouin, the Tuareg, um, people that are nomads, and you ask them how old they are, they'll tell you what happened around the time they were born. You know, I was born around the time of. They, they don't use numbers the way we do. They use where I am in history. Uh, and it is... And they, and they may talk about their father who was born in, and you do the math and you realize, well, that was 200 years ago. They don't differentiate that much between father and grandfather and great-grandfather like we do uh, today in the Western world. So you have to enter that, all right? But Mary Magdalene evidently was in serious trouble with demonic issues, and Jesus had healed her. And so, out of gratitude, one would assume, for that deliverance, uh, and out of faith in Jesus for what he had been able to do for her, he, uh, she rather, now follows him from the beginning and supplies money, food, and help. By the way, same thing happened with Paul. You will find Paul mentioning women who are his co-workers and who he could not, he could not exist without. And Paul was unmarried and sometimes very difficult around women. Uh, Jesus was also very, very pleasant around women. So there's a very difference there. Um, move it, by the way, all these stories are still out there about what the demons are, and you can find them online. They're silly, 
Um, they make zero sense, but they were used to inspire fright and faith in equal measures among a preliterate people. In all four Gospels, Mary Magdalene is described as being at the crucifixion. She is also there at the burial of Jesus in the tomb in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, we say synoptic because they tend to cover the same territory. So they have her at the burial as well. And then we also have her there at the resurrection. Um, and the tales there differ a bit, but I don't find that an issue. Some of them have Mary Magdalene, and it appears that she is alone. Others have her in a group with other women, some of them named Mary. Um, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome in one version. So are these contradictions? Should we then be going, oh, they couldn't get their story straight? No, 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 not even a little bit. We, why would you assume that there was one trip there and one trip back, and now everybody's talking about the same trip? We know, for example, as for a fact, that Mary Magdalene went back at least two times, if not three times, to the gravesite. And therefore, there were times when she was alone and time when she was with others. So just a word to the wise, please. Sometimes when people yell contradiction, they have a point, and we have to deal with it. Most of the time, I don't know most of the time, a lot of the time, when they yell contradiction, they are making an assumption that creates the contradiction. It's rather like when we talked about the death of Judas. In one um, story, he hangs himself. In another story, he falls and his belly breaks open. And he, it's a gross story. Well, to put those two stories together, let me do this for you. In the medieval ages, one of the popes, um, actually not the medieval ages. It was around the year 200 AD, so it was ancient. He was already trying to put these two together. And his decision was that uh, Judas just started swelling because the sin in him made him swell to the point where he couldn't even fit down some streets. And he just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then he got caught, hung in the limbs of a tree and burst open. And his blood and tissue went all over the city. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You don't need to conflate the stories and make myths some of these things have real answers. And Mary Magdalene had gone back and forth several times. In fact, it was she who first saw the risen Lord. Now she goes with the group at first. The, the tomb is open. The body is gone. They're very distressed. Another scene. We find her approaching a fellow that uh, she thinks is, is the gardener. And she's not looking up at him. And she says, can you just tell me where you took him? So I'll go get the body. I mean, what an act of bravery. Here's a man that's just been crucified by the Roman authorities for sedition and treason and breaching the peace of Rome, which is the worst thing you could possibly do to, uh, in Roman ideas. And she, a, a mere woman, is going to publicly drag a body through the street saying, no, this one is precious and I'm not letting it just be left out there for the dogs. Which is, by the way, what they did for most crucifixion victims. So I already love her. I love her for supporting Jesus through all these years. I love her for being at the crucifixion when so many people ran away. And I love her for being willing to take the risk of being stoned to death, hung by the Romans, hacked to death by the Romans as a traitor 
and a supporter of the one they just crucified. You got to love her. And of course, Jesus reveals himself to her. There another time uh, in between there, you know, there, there's one angel in there, then there are two angels in there. This is a busy place. It was a confused and a difficult time. But it was Mary Magdalene who saw the risen Lord first and who went back and reported it to the apostles. Therefore, Mary Magdalene is known in Christianity as the apostle to the apostles. The more I know about her, the more I like her. It's interesting that the first missionary for Jesus anywhere was a Samaritan woman who ran back to her village and said, you've got to meet this man. He's told me everything I've ever done. He is the Messiah. She was the first missionary uh, for Christ and the first apostle to the apostles and the first one to speak and give the good news of the risen Lord was another woman. If you remember our story on Mary back at the 1st of September, you will remember that we talked about the reality of Mary's life would have been harsh and brutal. And we don't ever talk about that. We always have her painted as if she was you know, sweet and lovely without a wrinkle, perfect in every way. But she would have been beaten up by life, calloused. There have been lines on her face. And if you don't know why, please go back and listen to the sermon for the, from the first Sunday in September 2022, and you'll see the story of Mary. Mary suffered so much. Maybe that is why Jesus lifted up all women, especially women who were being looked down on, women that were being cast aside by religion, by culture, by their families, by, by their situation. Whatever it was, Jesus lifted up women openly. He's going to do that again later in this lesson. Historians, at least mainstream ones, I mean, you can always find nuts. And you can self-publish these days, so it's easy to find nuts. Historians um, seem to be united in their conviction that Mary Magdalene was a real person. And she did come from Magdala. She was a person of wealth, and she really did exist. She was very involved in the work and ministry of Jesus, and then silence. Unlike Paul, she left behind no writings, no teachings. It could be that she lived a long and productive life. Most people who live long, productive lives, names are, are lost to us because they left no writings. Paper was precious. It was hard to do. But it also could be that she passed. It could be that she married and entered a different phase of her life. But whatever it was, she goes silent. And Paul never mentions her in any of his books. Neither is she mentioned in any of the epistles. The only reliable source of information we have about her is in Matthew, Mark, Luke. And Luke writing again in Acts. <coughs> Excuse me. I know I said a while ago that all four Gospels have her at the crucifixion. John does not mention her by name, but when he talks about the group, it's obvious he's talking about the same group that Matthew, Mark, and Luke mention, and Mary Magdalene's in the group. Sadly, we can't leave it there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. A lot of things still continue to be written about Mary Magdalene. Authors posing as historians have written books that have zero historical basis. 
years ago, <coughs> again, I'm fine, don't worry. Um, the, um, my, my therapist says I'm fine, so I'm fine. Um, a, a few years ago, the book, The Da Vinci Code, really made a splash. Then they made a movie with it with Tom Hanks, and that made a big splash. And it was all people could talk about for about a year. And to this very day, if you go to Amazon and you look up historical or mysteries and, theor- and thrillers and such, you will find people still writing books and the same theme, and they'll say, four fans of Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Well, The Da Vinci Code presented itself as having a lot of facts to back it up. In fact, it did not. Even the great uh, agnostic doubter, Bart Ehrman, a New Testament scholar who doesn't believe in, in God, wrote a whole book attacking the Da Vinci Code phenomena, saying this is not historical. There's not a thing in it which is historically accurate. But these people still write. And one of their myths that they push really hard is about the Priory of Zion, S-I-O-N, if you want to look it up and you've got way too much time. And that is um, that Jesus and Mary Magdalene actually were in love, that they got married, they traveled to France, which why not, and had a son there. And that bloodline of Jesus still exists. And the Catholic Church has secret special agents all over the place for, um, uh, for, to, to fight them and to, to bring out, uh, to make sure that these documents never arise, that we never find it, because it would be the end of the Catholic Church. All of this is hokum. All of this, complete rubbish. And in fact, uh, books like Holy Blood, Holy Grail are written as if they were history and saying that the bloodline of Jesus is the real Holy Grail. Well, other than the fact that absolutely none of that happened and there never has been a Holy Grail, I have no quarrels with the story. My goodness. Leave the woman alone. She was a wonderful woman. We don't need to develop fantastical tales about her. Gnostic writers were also fascinated by Mary Magdalene. Here was a wise woman. Most Gnostic philosophy is just going to be so hard to define. I don't even want to go into it. And you can spend the rest of your life in it. And rather like quantum physics, at the end of your life, you're going to say, I know what it is, but I can't define it. Gnostic writers are fascinated by anything which would have a woman as the God of the universe or a woman as the source of Jesus' wisdom. And so they invented a lot of stories about Mary Magdalene, including that a lot of sayings of Jesus really came from her. And so you'll find some of those in the Gospel of Thomas, a Gnostic text. You'll find some of those in the Gospel of Judas, another Gnostic text. None of these were written by the people they say they were written by. They're very late. They're not part of Scripture. Uh, and, and they're a mess, frankly. It is hard to read them. They're just a mess. But once again, they claim a romantic relationship between Mary Magdalene and uh, Jesus and claim a great conspiracy that Jesus really wanted Mary Magdalene to head the church but Peter grabbed it from her. Peter was very angry, and that's even written in one of these old Gnostic texts. These are fantasies. You don't need to make this complicated. It's already complicated. You don't need to make it more complicated. Jesus taught what he taught. He was real. Mary and Magdalene supported him. She was real. And God has always honored Mary Magdalene, and so should we. And the writers who listed her in the Gospels did so 
to show honor. Because not only did they always put her in a positive light, in any group in which Mary Magdalene is, is mentioned, her name comes first. And in the first century, that was huge. Now, you know, we can play that, let's say that Dave Cassily and I are going to set up a new tech company, quit your chortling. And uh, we could sit there and say, you know, I see it now, Mead and Cassily. And he's going, Cassily and Mead. You know, we can play those games. It was a lot more important back then. Who got mentioned first? And the gospel writers put her first. There's another Marian scripture. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Maybe six, seven minutes. But you need to know her. You already do know her, actually. We call her Mary of Bethany just to differentiate because people didn't have last names then. You had to say, you know, the daughter of, the son of, from this part of the world. We still do that, but now they're codified as last names. Uh, Mary of Bethany. She's another amazing woman whose story has been misused. She's only mentioned by name in the Gospel of John. The other Gospels mention her, but not by name, by relationship. Their brother Lazarus, Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. Well, her sister and she and Lazarus lived in Bethany. It's a village just south of the Mount of Olives and very near to Jerusalem. That is why later when Lazarus dies and Jesus says, let's go mourn him, let's go to Bethany, um, the apostles go, no, that's too close to Jerusalem. They want to kill you there. It's just very, very close on. But once again, the Roman Catholic Church got this Mary confused with another one. They misidentified this woman also with the woman of sin in Luke 7. Both of them cried at Jesus' feet. Both of them anointed the feet of Jesus, one with tears, one with very expensive ointment, but they're two different people. And once again, the Roman Catholic Church made an official correction in 1969. But the news still hasn't soaked into the larger community, and so I still see this in stories and in books, and, and also by atheists that don't know the Bible but think they do, and they'll write these sort of things in there, you know, about these marriages, and they get it wrong. I love Mary and Martha, and I love the story of their interactions with Jesus. I've told these stories many, many times. J uh, John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, makes it very plain that it was this Mary, who Mary of Bethany, who anointed Jesus' feet before the betrayal. And that she cried, and she broke open this jar, alabaster jar, they had oil of spikenard, and, and we look upon that name and we think, well, that doesn't sound good. But it was super, super, super expensive. In fact, uh, Judas there is upset. He said, that's a year's wages for a common laborer. And that could have been given to the poor. Now, the scripture goes on to say that Judas was only upset because he got to hold the money, and he would have taken some of that money to use for himself. And I, I get that. But I, I, I do want everybody here to do a heart and soul gut check. If somebody gave what looked like wasting a year's wages on your pastor, your minister, would you not feel that this was a huge waste? You know, I sometimes feel that way when I see a state dinner. And I know each of those plates there's probably cost him a thousand to three thousand dollars to put all together and all this why should taxpayers do? we we do that we can get upset and what we see is wasting money 
But Jesus said, it's not wasting. She's anointing me for my burial. And not a one of them knew what he was talking about. But Mary did. How'd she know that? Well, she knew it. Because she'd been listening. That's the other story I want to talk about. Because we have misused that story. In Luke 10, Jesus visits the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Martha is very busy with many things, the scripture says. Women do that, some women. Uh, you, you go to their house and you're going there for dinner and you don't get to see them much because they're just really busy doing things. And uh, we all appreciate it, by the way. We all love it. Uh, but we understand how Martha could get that busy. But while she's doing that, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus and listens to the teaching. And we miss two major elements of the story. First, a woman sitting at the feet of a rabbi was against every protocol of first century Judaism. But once again, Jesus ignores the protocols when it comes to women and elevates them. Or when it comes to the outcasts, whether they be even men, they might be lepers, or they might be Roman centurions, or they might be... He lifts them up. He accepts who the rest of us reject. Sitting at the feet of a rabbi. So she listened. She got what was going on. She alone in that room knew that Jesus was about to be killed. And so she anointed him before his burial. The other Mary, Mary Magdalene, wanted to anoint him more after his burial. That's why she made that visit. See these threads? We miss these threads. We shouldn't, but we do. Second, how many ladies' retreats, ladies' days, how many devotionals of the day, how many women doing podcasts have attacked other women using this story? And I would like to ask them all to stop it now because they're misunderstanding the story. You see, notice the flow. And notice what is there and when it arrives and because when it arrives is kind of important. Mary is listening. Martha is busy. After a while, Martha comes in and says, Jesus, would you tell Mary? to?" Because evidently, that normally is kind of one of these, I've asked her before and she's not doing it, so would you tell her? She listens to you. To come help me. And Jesus goes, Mary's chosen the higher, better thing here. You know, you're, you're a very busy lady. He acknowledges that. You're very busy. But she's chosen to do this. Interesting, wasn't it? That Jesus did not correct Martha. It wasn't Martha, Martha, you need to not be busy. Oh, come on, people. He sat down and ate the food. She made the food. She prepared the thing and he enjoyed the thing. So what was he doing and what's going on there? He was fine with Martha being Martha. And he was fine with Mary being Mary. He was not fine with Martha wanting Mary to be Martha. You and I, those here in the soundstage, those of you that are watching, whenever you're watching and wherever you are, we're all very different people. And my passion might be for this mission work. And your passion might be for this local service. 
And I might be thinking, well, you're, you just don't love Jesus if you don't exactly love what I love and make this your priority. And you might be thinking the same thing back at me. And Jesus would tell both of us, be quiet and do your thing. You do your thing and don't make other people feel bad that they're not doing what you're doing. That's all it was. So, ladies, if you're one of those that when people are invited over, you are busy, busy, busy with many things. Cool. On behalf of everybody who's eaten a good meal, I'd like to thank you for that. But if you're a lady that really doesn't care about all that so much as she wants to sit down and visit and get to know people or know things, cool. We need them too. We have a lot of women out there who are brilliant and wise, intelligent, they write, they teach, and we all need to hear from them. So let's not make Mary Martha or Martha Mary. That was the point of the story. Not that Mary's great and Martha isn't. In fact, when Lazarus dies, it seems to be Mary that is having a bigger struggle. Because Martha will join Jesus and engage with him while Mary stayed home and had to be sent for. There's another story there. Nobody, as we wrap this up, nobody wants a universe that looks like a church potluck where everybody brought mac and cheese or everybody bought, brought one of those jello molds. So don't be surprised and frustrated when you find yourself surrounded by people who aren't like you. They're there on purpose. The variety, the difference is there on purpose. The creator made it thus. So honor them and honor Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany. They, we have fathers in the faith. We have mothers in the faith too. God bless you. Be at peace.